Hello, rogues. It's episode 8 of the Streets of Avalon re-release. We are five stretch goals in as of this recording, which means for the $10 PDF, you'll get the book, The Streets of Avalon, and the following supplements. The Urban Ranger, The Firearms of Avalon, A Map of the Neighborhood, Iron Shoes, An Adventure by Avalon creator Brett B. of Gaming and BS, and The Urban Barbarian. Next up are 10 magic items and spells, including the Doppelganger's Skin, Odin's Wrath, and the Pearl Eye. There's even more goodies to light the lamps beyond that, so click on the link in the post notes if you want to get in on all the dark citywide urban fantasy action, or you can just type in tinyurl.com slash streetsofavalon. Now before we get to the play, let's get another preview for you folks. Classes in Avalon. These classes exist. Barbarian, Bard, Druid, Fighter, Ranger, Rogue, Warlock, and Wizard. These classes do not exist. The Paladin. There are no holy crusaders in this world that are actually backed by their gods, so the powers and abilities of a paladin don't exist. One can claim to worship a god and be a fighter cleric, but even their clerical magic is really just learned from spellbooks. The Monk. The class just doesn't fit nor does the lore around it. The Sorcerer. Any reference to sorcerer is just slang for wizard. The Cleric. The Cleric is a special class in Avalon and has the following adjustments from the PHB because of the setting. Spellcasting. Because there truly are no gods in Avalon, the Cleric's spellcasting functions in a manner similar to the Wizards. This means they do not have access to the entire spell list of the Cleric spells. They also have a spellbook which functions the same as a Wizard spellbook. Clerics must prepare and cast spells like Wizards, page 114 of the Player's Handbook, with the following changes. Any reference to wizard is replaced by cleric. Replace the word intelligence with wisdom. Replace magic missile with cure wounds. Domain spells. A cleric's domain spells are more like a school specialization, and they always know them even if they don't have their spellbook. Channel divinity. This is just channeling a power that the cleric has learned to harness from inside themselves. It's really just another way to harness their magic, but they often believe it's based on their belief in their ideology. This is also how a cleric can destroy undead at 5th level. Exceptional Wisdom This replaces Divine Intervention at 10th level. Beginning at 10th level, the cleric seems to be calling on their deity to intervene on their behalf when the need is dire, but really what the cleric is doing is consulting their accumulated wisdom and knowledge. Roll percentile dice. If the cleric rolls a number equal to or lower than their cleric level, they can ask the DM one question about how to successfully deal with their current situation. The DM has to answer honestly and give the cleric some way for them to successfully deal with the current situation. This information lets the cleric and anyone they let in on what they know roll advantage on any attack roll, saving throw, and skill checks to deal with their current situation for three rolls that the cleric chooses. If the cleric attempts to apply their wisdom in this way, they can't do it again until they finish a long rest. At 20th level, their exceptional wisdom succeeds automatically, no roll required, and increases to five rolls of the cleric's choosing. Reskinning abilities. Other cleric abilities might need to be reskinned if they're being pulled from places other than the player's handbook. Just remember that there are no gods in Avalon, and any power has to be from within the character or is magic just like a wizard's. That's all for this installment. Now on to the next episode, and if you've backed the Kickstarter, thank you. And if you have or haven't, please tell your friends, enemies, the monsters you know, any rogues you associate with, and everyone in between about the streets of Avalon. Last time on the streets of Avalon, Maris killed Master Corwin, Vassar and Maris's neighborhood was set ablaze, and our rogues were attacked by them in Mort's home. Now let's find out who them is and what moves our rogues will make next.
Welcome to the Streets of Avalon, played by the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, and presented by Misdirected Mark Productions, in conjunction with Gaming and BS, She's a Super Geek, and the Knights of the Night. Now for the introductions of our GM, the players, and the characters. Uh, Brett B. from Gaming and BS, I am the Dungeon Master. Hi there, this is Kevin Lovecraft. I'm playing a bard in this 5e campaign. Morris Solanus. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm one of the GMs and editors of Knights of the Night Actual Play Podcast. I am uh, playing a druid character, Nora Maginis, also known as Grandmother. I'm Emily from She's a Super Geek. I make up about one half of it technically. I am playing a ranger, Fionn McFinnegan. And my name is Chris Nizak, and I am one of the hosts and, uh, I guess, the architect of Misdirected Mark Productions. I am playing a character called Vassar Vim. I am a rogue who lives on the hard streets of Avalon, and I turn the microphone over to Brett B. Them, it's them, it's them. This is the, this is them. Nameless horror is controlling these guys. Vassar, what do you do? Are we in a cabin? You are definitely in a cabin. You're in a single room. Say it is about 20 feet by 20 feet. So behind you all is a fireplace, and that is where Nora, Grandma, and Mort are behind you. So standing stalwartly in front of the five, six, now six, because uh, Fionn dropped one of the boys. The six people in front of you, you have Maras, Fionn, and Vassar standing firm between you and the elder is behind you. Vassar, what do you do? Time to drop a thousand ball bearings on the floor right in front of me, right between myself and all the rest of them, so to create a little bit of a problem for them to deal with. It worked last time. Why would it not work twice, right? You're four short. I couldn't find them all, remember? <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like 996. <laughs> Bam, but who's counting? Morris, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the first thing I do is I do that. I guess that's my action. Then I will disengage from anybody who's close to me, make my way to the uh, fireplace, and reach in and grab out two fiery logs out of the fireplace. Excellent. Morris, what do you do? I look back at Fionn, because she seems to be a killing machine. I want to up that a bit. <laughs> going to do uh, inspiration, so you can have a 1d6 Ooh. bonus on a roll in the next 10 minutes. And I say, failure will never overtake you if your determination to succeed is strong enough. I believe in you. You guys, just as a reminder, everyone does have that D6 that acts in the same that I gave you from last session. Oh, yeah. And then I turn around and whip a dagger at one of the people. Roll the hit. Nicely done. I like that. You cannot fail. You must this. Fling, stab. How much damage there, Senator? Four. Boy, you are super on point. Nice. Pow! That dagger sinks in. It does not drop your foe, but it definitely sinks in. Yeah, I'm not sure if I want to kill him. I'm hoping more to disable. I mean, I know some of these people, too. Randall has stepped back. He's torn his clothes completely off, and his whole body is just morphing and twisting, and uh, he he turns into a large black panther and leaps on one of these beings. He just basically turns in. You hear a roar of that big jungle cat roar, and it comes across, and pow! He lands on the other brother, the other large acolyte, lands on him and just bears him to the ground, and no mercy just starts raking and ripping and tearing. The brother's fighting back, just pummeling it as hard as he can with these big ham-like fists he has, but the cat is on him. Nora, what are you doing? I'm standing from the rocking chair. I have been sitting in, coaxing one of the flowers uh, from the mantle. I use it to 
<laughs> pollinate one of the enemies nearby. Uh, poison spray. Very nice. They must do a constitution saving roll, or one die 12. What's your DC? Uh, 14. Uh, missed by one. How much damage did you do? Just seven. Their turn. All right. They surge forward. One of them is going to try to close on uh, Vassar. You went back to the fire, and you're getting sticks, so they're going to try to close in on Fionn first. Deal with the ball bearings, man. Oh, good God. Thank you. I'm glad you reminded me. Hey, Brett's dice are back, and that's a six. Now, when they lunge forward, like I said, the eyes are rolled back to see the whites. You see the blood leech-like fog tendril connected to each of them. They have the trenching tools, the firefighting tools in their hands. The first one staggers forward. After the initial stagger, it's very fluid. They're moving like there's... It's incredibly natural. Even though there's no freaking way they could see you, they just come forward. The first one, the initial stagger step is fine. After that, zip, bam, prone. The next one comes forward trying to get at Morris. Hey, whoop, bam, down. Next one comes to charge forward. Whoop, oh my god, whoop, down. All right, so that's three and four. And oh, number five, lucky number five is up. He's brought himself. Number five steps on the other guys. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's easy now. He just steps on his fallen comrades. And he's able to take a swipe at Morris. Morris, you are armor. Oh, I hit you. Oh, yeah, you hit me. It's a palpable hit. And you're going to take six points of damage. Oh. Basically, it is a large, um, basic uh, trenching tool, like a like a uh, matok type of thing. Just kind of, you dig a large potato hole with, just comes up and bam, hits you with that thing. Boof, massive strike, Vassar. You've gone to the fire. You hear the yelling, the screaming, the combat. And at this point, the the group has fought enough together. They're kind of you guys are getting in a sink now, right? Mm-hmm. There's no excessive yelling or whatever. Fiona said, "Danger!" Everyone went into positions. People <laughs> kind of fell into play. You've gone back. You've got a fiery brand. You turn around. There's one foe left standing. What do you do? Do I, do I have two fiery brands? Because I went to go grab two fiery brands. Absolutely. One in each hand. So I'm going to step up to my friend who I know, Quentin, and I'm not going to hit him with the fiery brands. I'm going to swing the burning parts of the brands through the smoky parts that are attached to him. Okay. Roll. To hit. Uh, 15 and a 13. Nicely done. All right, the brand cuts through. What you see, basically, it burns away the fog, the smog, the bloody veins, the pinkish veins that go through. There is a silver cord that you see through that that runs backwards. From that little tendril, that little leech, it connects to the rest of the fog and smog and goes somewhere out the open door. You're able to cut through. Poof, you bust, you bust through the smoke, the fog, and, like I said, the bloody bits, and you hit that silver little cord, that little tether, and... It severs it completely. Quentin, you said was the name? Yes. Quentin just kind of screams in horror. The eyes come back, and he looks at you, and he says, sorry. And then a gout of blood just comes gushing out of his his mouth and nose, and he just completely falls. He's dead. Oh, that's good. I don't say that. I'm actually more horrified. Like, uh uh-oh. Fionn, what do you do? You saw that. Everyone else is on the floor. Well, my mind would quickly go, they're going to die anyway if we sever, whether we sever this or whether we kill them. So I'm going to drink another arrow to shoot at one of the prone. Sure. Roll the hit. 21 to hit. The Fionn, I can't miss anything. All right. Twang damage. 10 piercing damage. Oh, 10. Oh, good Lord. Funk. These are normal townsfolk dead. Maris, what's up? 
I'm going to use a pommel on my dagger and knock one of them out. I'm hoping that this effect will wear off and perhaps they won't be damaged if it's not a uh, violent disconnect. That did not go through my mind at all. Because I care about the people of this town that haven't fucked me over. Yeah. That's when I yell at Fiona. I'm like, stop killing them. I know them. They're my friends. They're trying to kill us. Yeah, they're obviously not in control of their faculties. Mars, roll. For prone? Absolutely. So what I'm doing here, my apologies, is, is that because the the smog and the connection and the silver tether between, there is a chance that if you completely fuck this up, that you hit that thing and you can't do what you want to do. Okay. So 15, I'm going to assume advantage with them down. This dude is totally down. Bap! Pommel, right base of the skull, unconscious. All right. Nora, when Morris hits this one in the back of the head, you see the silver piece of it kind of disconnect from the back of the right shoulder blade. Where that silver tether was connected, there is a fountain of blood that shoots out, and then it stops. In the distance, somewhere outside the door, in the graveyard, you hear a scream. It sounds like kind of a... um, What do I want to say? It sounds like somebody underwater who's yelling and flailing. If you were to go underwater and yell and roar and and scream, that's what you hear. Okay, so if I step outside of the cabin? If you step outside the cabin, you're going to need to make a dexterity check to not fall on your ass. Ball bearing roll? Is Nibble Grandma nimble? At this point, Grandma is um, so anxious to get out the door is Nora's going to go... And she's going to take a couple steps. There's bodies on the ground. They're writhing. They're kicking. There's a large black panther on top of an acolyte that's just that's being killed. And then slip. Bam! Grandma falls. Fion, out of your corner, Riley. <gasps> Grandma, on her back. Wham! She just falls down prone. Grandmother! Once that weird underwater yelling, warbling sound happens, the panther picks its bloody muzzle up from the, uh, from the corpse and just bounds out the door. And you hear it just roaring as it leaps out. Mort screams, Get back here, Randall! Do not do that! Do not engage! He's screaming at this thing, You can't do it! Vassar, what do you do? So there's a dead body on the ground where Fiona pinned it, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I jump onto the dead body and then dive out outside over the rest of the people and hit the ground roll, pop up, and see what's going on. Easily done. And start chasing the panther, because I actually, I can double move as, like, my get a dash as, like, a bonus action, so I can technically move 60 feet and around and still do something. You are nimble, sir. Rogues be quick. Holy cow. Okay. That's why I like playing. So I just, I follow the panther. Perfect. Cross the body, out. Flip across the ball bearings. The panther's leapt out just before you're out. You see in the dim, it's a very early morning light at this point, right? It's well past midnight that just barely morning sun kind of is trying to kind of peek its way through that night smoke and smog and cloud cover. The panther is leaping across kind of from tombstone to tombstone at a being. It looks like this person, maybe you think they might actually be floating like three or four feet off the ground. They have a hood drawn. They're kind of that evil mage look, right? Where it's a it's hood drawn, long sleeved robes and they're floating. Mm-hmm. The silver cords from everyone who's yet left alive all come to a larger silver tether of smoke and smog, and it comes directly back to them. And within the right hand, this claw-like right hand is where those cords are connected, and that is what you see. You're running towards that person? Oh, yes. And as soon as I get anywhere near it, I I fling uh, one of the burning brands that I have at it. Ah, roll the hit. 
Well, this is totally not with uh, proficiency. Uh, I only got a nine. The brand flies, but it's not a wieldy weapon. It's not meant to be thrown. So this torch, it goes, it kind of flops. It doesn't cut any cords. It doesn't do anything drastic, but it just falls down there. It casts this nasty, eerie, flickery light upwards. The hooded figure, the, the hood and the cloak appears to be kind of tattery and blows strangely in the wind. You can feel that kind of early morning Avalon wind coming in off the docks. The sea smell is hitting you, the nasty fish, the salt, and it's really causing havoc with the uh, cloak, especially the hood area of this thing that's floating. Fionn, what do you do? You're in the room. There are two people left, and they're trying to stand up, two bad guys, controlled by the thing outside. Oh, I really want to run outside, but I can't leave Grandmother. <laughs> I'll be okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll probably be like, Grandmother? Yes, I'm okay, dear. Go. But I've got her. I've got her back. Cool. And I'll do the same thing as Vassar, except I don't think I can run as far. But if I can, once I see what's happening, I would like to shoot my longbow. <laughs> I'd like to shoot an arrow at that thing. You're able to get out. You do have basically 2d6 that you could spend on this roll if you wanted to. So getting out of the room is not that hard. You know where the bodies are. You're able to hop, hop, hop across the dead and then get out the door. Can I spend that 1d6 that I have on damage? Yes, I'll let you do that. Cool. I'd like to use inspiration to uh, get advantage on this roll. Go for it. And I get a 22. You hit it. And then I'm going to use a d6 as well. 11 piercing damage. Now, Vassar, you've gotten closer. You threw the brand. The way the firelight is coming, you hear the twang of Fionn's bow, which is becoming very familiar at this point. The arrow whizzes over your head. It thumps directly into this... um, weirdly cloaking flapping creature and the thing lets out another warbling kind of garbled yell like it's got a mouth full of pudding practically mm-hmm. it kind of pulls its head back the hood falls back you see these horrible feelers from its from what looks like its face just kind of writhing and twisting the ends of the feelers are covered in what looks like just mechanical claws or knives and pinchers it's hideous it's absolutely freaking hideous it warbles and yells, like I said, with this nasty mouthful of pudding sound, like it's it's in pain and enraged at what is happening. Holy stardust, what is that thing? Morris, what do you do? I reach down to uh, give Grandma a hand. Um, Grandma's fine. You see me turn to you and you wave me off, so I guess I will uh, try to uh, whack one of these guys who's getting up with the hilt of my rapiers. I'm trying to subdue. So give me another shot. Woo! How about a natural 20? Good job. Um, Morris, I will, if you'd like to, with that crit, instead of doing super extra damage, basically take them both out. There's only They're both down there nearby, kind of a double thump, but you can take them both down. Okay. I will accept that. Sounds good. You take them down. Mort leans over, touches you, Morris, and says, good work saving the innocent. I'm going to go do what I can. Oops. Do that, Mort. He works his way out the front door. Nora, I am assuming I'm going to hear a snorting, puffing, growling sound as you transform into a massive, pissed-off female boar. Yes, and charge into the fray. And you, Morris, is like, holy, jumping out of the doorway. (laughs) What the heck is that? It's gigantic. A uh, wild boar goes anywhere from three to 600-plus pounds, depending where they're from, right? So this huge razorback thing comes roaring out of the out of this place, just leaps itself. She's a sow. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, a sow, not a boar. Thank you, Fionn. So this massive wild pig comes tearing out. 
The creature, this weird tentacle-headed thing, the cat, leaps up to get a hold of it. It holds out its left hand and freezes the cat in midair and just crushes its head like a melon. It pulps it. Cat brains, teeth, and eyes just squirt out in every direction in its limp form. The left hand motions down, and the limp form just goes whack like a like a piece of beef hitting a t- t- table. Just smack on a stone. Headstone shatters. Gore. Faster, what do you do? First of all, was I within 40 feet? Because I could do a charge attack if I am. Go for a charge. You are definitely within 40 feet. Okay. Oh, good lord. You got him. Okay. The tusk does seven. And if the charge were 20 feet in a straight line, it's an additional two. This wild sow comes leaping across the area, this snorting foam flecking off the side, (laughs) bashing through busted stones. The cat is crushed, thrown aside. As this creature whirls to see the rest of its opponents, wham! This board just hurls itself. Excuse me, the sow. She hurls herself better, above and pow! Lie. Hits this. It does. <laughs> <laughs> it hits it. Hits this creature dead in the chest. Those tusks and everything just kind of pow! Give it this ripping tear. There is a rending of metal and there is a chunk of steel and linked mail that goes flinging off from it. And the boar, or excuse me, the sow is throws itself clear from the thing that's floating in the air. Vassar, your turn. Uh, it's still got that ham with the the strings, right? But they're all are they still attached? Or are they limp now? They are limp now. Basically, everything that was on the right hand, because Morris has knocked everybody else unconscious, the uh, silver is starting to fade back into smoke, and it looks basically like it's just has its hand wrapped around uh, wood smoke, and everything's just kind of dissipating through the fog. Well, first off, I'm like, well, where where the where the boar come from? And then Fiona says, it's a sow. <laughs> <laughs> And that's grandmother. Okay, and then I uh, I drop the other burning brand I have, and I pull out mm-hmm. both of my short swords, and I go after the thing. It's floating in the air, right? Correct. It's about five feet off the ground. Five feet's about as tall as I am. A little. I mean, it's a little. I mean, it's it's foot's at like my eye level. So I'll leap up off the ground a little bit and c- cut at its legs. Roll a hit. Fifteen and a sixteen. Nicely done. You hit with both. Nine points of damage. Faster leaps up and does nine points of damage, both blades, chunk, chunk. And then I saw what happened mm-hmm. to the panther. I, I disengaged from it, too, because I used my bonus action to get away from it. Chop, chop, run, run, run away, run away, back it up, back it up, back it up. Yeah, I mean, that's how I fight. Now, Vassar, when you're up close enough, right, you see that horrible, pulpy, tentacled head. The things, the, the little snake-like tentacled arms covered in blades and whatnot spread apart from its mouth like a really pissed off octopus in the center is like this beaky maw with like serrated fangs around it it's like this little sphincter muscle for a mouth yeah it garbles and warbles at you and uh the armor that nora tore off of it you're able to actually get one of the blades in and you hit the skin and this greenish ichor kind of oozes out of where you cut into the deeper flesh and uh, when i stop and look i'm like i don't know what you are but you should probably leave before we murder you fiona what are you doing I'm going to try to murder it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you didn't move fast enough. You get murdered. That's how it works in Avalon. Oh, my God. Fion can't miss. Roll damage. Good God. So Fion will hear Vassar, and she's just going to go, yeah, as she's pulling out an arrow and uh, fires it at him. And I say, like that. (laughs) Nicely done. Maris, you're inside. Both of them are unconscious. I'm gonna see if I can wake either of them up. Yep, kind of do the tap, tap, slap, slap, tap, tap, slap, slap. There, one of them wakes up easily. 
I shouldn't say easily, groggily. Are you okay? What? What? Where am I? What happened? Oh, my head. Oh, oh my God. Why am I laying on these rocks? What happened? Tell you what. Have a silver, go get a drink, and be glad you're still alive. (laughs) Nice. Mort has made his way out. Mort has reached down, placed both hands on the earth, and is mumbling something to himself. Directly underneath this creature that's floating, the earth just rises up and smacks directly into it. The thing screams and just, I mean, it basically would be like if I threw a clod of dirt at you. It doesn't have like a huge blistering impact or whatever, but this ground from the cemetery reaches up so that it's touching the feet of this creature that's been floating above it, and it just screams. It shrieks in absolute pain. Nora, what do you do? The feet are its weakness. Clearly. I stop and look at you when you say that, and like, it obviously doesn't like being on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that feeling this this young girl go, it's his feet! Shoot it in the feet! I, I love that. This is gorgeous. Well, I'm also the one who was like, they're going to try to kill us. I'm now uh, clear of the ball bearing, so I transform back and just hit it with a staff, trying to drive it, you know, from top to bottom down towards the ground. Give me a roll. (laughs) Oh, I know that feeling. (laughs) Oh, I've been hit like that before. Yeah. You missed, Nora. Not enough. 12 is a miss. Okay. You swing, whoosh, goes past. It's turn. It shrieks. It just is, like I said, this weird garbly sound like you've got a mouth full of uh, calamari and you're roaring at somebody and it basically it disappears completely what the earth settles on settles underneath it mort stands up and he's just drenched in sweat (sighs) heavy breathing okay okay we got it we got it We, we we pushed it away we pushed it away we should be safe for a while where'd it go holy starlight what was that thing if I knew where they went, we could get rid of them. Okay, I'm with her now. What is it? It's an illithid. An illithid? And it's something you've dealt with before? Yes. And yes. I think we better come back inside. Everyone going to come back inside? Yes. Yes. Definitely. So, right. you, priest, Lachey. Yes, my son. So, you want me to take this box and my friends down underneath the city where these terrible squid-faced things are and leave it there. How do we know that's going to work and why do you want us to take it right to them? The plan was not to take it to them. The plan was to take it there before they or anyone else like them were to have found out that we had the box. Apparently, the Illithid know that we have it, hence the plan I had may not be viable anymore. Quite frankly, at this point, Mort says, I am unsure what needs to be done. I know we have to keep it from the Mind Flayers. We must keep it from the Hammerites. Anyone else who would use this box for their own ends of any kind, we have to figure out how to keep it from them. I don't want to throw it into the underground of Avalon, knowing full well that the Illithid know that we have it and may take it right to them, inadvertently or inadvertently. I'm not sure what needs to be done at this point, other than we have to do something. Anybody have any ideas? I feel like we probably need to know more about this box. Grandmother, may I speak to you in private for a moment? Of course, my dear. I show Fionn to the door where um, my son and I spoke earlier. We go off into that room, close the door. So, is this going to take long? Okay. Yep. Fate of mankind and Avalon and the world going on right here, and they're going to go talking to... Hey, Morris, do you know anything about this box, or know anybody who might know anything about this box? Yeah, I... Mm, no. 
no, that lead is kind of, hmm, hmm. Well, um, I can certainly ask around. Mort is going to uh, dole out some pretty strong tea to anyone who wants it to uh, try to bolster yourselves through this very long evening and possible very long discourse. So he'll lay out tea cups pouring out. And when he pours a cup, it's like a stein practically of this really strong stuff and kind of hands it out to the boys while the, while the ladies are out, while the ladies are out talking. Mm, I sniff it suspiciously. Grandmother. Yes. Fionn, what did you want to speak about? Um, I had I had an idea, but I wanted to run it past you first. What if we find Uncle Liam, give him the box, have him take it to Glenshire, and then we travel below the earth, below Avalon, and stash a fake box in this architect guy's catacombs so that anybody who would be looking for it would go looking there, but find the wrong box. And by then we would have been able to catch up with uh, Uncle Liam and be able to deal with it from there. That sounds like a wonderful idea, but I have some concerns, some things I'd like to verify first. Brett, I'd like to look at the box. Okay. When dealing with my magic, I use auras. So I wish to see if this box is leaking anything. My concern would be that the evil is something that could be traced or, worse yet, affect the people around it adversely. I think as you're kind of going from that druidic gut, if you will, let's just do a straight wisdom for right now just to see where that gets us. Okay. I rolled a 12. Oof. Um, well, not horrible. So Nora's approach is going to be, I mean, she's a cautious woman, right? So the problem here is that it draws evil to it. It obviously has some sort of emanation. It's vile, it's horrible, it's despicable. If you take it home and plant it somewhere there, you are entrusting its safekeeping and all that stuff to your people. You're taking it to your village, and you're then basically foisting upon them a quest where they're going to have to protect this. The other thing that you're concerned about is that even if, say it's very subtle, its workings may be as subtle as, as the horrible teachings of Erlig and stuff are supposed to be, what about someone like your son, right, Liam Cutter? What would that have conceivably done to him? Is there anyone else in your village who may have a bent or a twist in their heart or something along those lines that this could aggravate or find a way to reach into a grab hold of? Mm. Those are the things that you would be most concerned of. Even if it's not overtly such that it would draw bad to you from outside sources, what would it do inside? How would that canker just grow and cause problems at home? So, Fiona, after staring at the box and closing my eyes, uh, Grandmother slowly opens her eyes and says, While I understand your desire, my child, to remove this evil from the world, this city has many evils, and I don't believe we can deal with all of them. I feel it, it is something that must be dealt with here in the city. If we bring all of the evilness from the city to our village, we'll just be corrupting that. So, while it's a good idea, I think... It's probably not one we should choose to follow. Well, what if we rode it out into the middle of the ocean, attached it to a rock, and sunk it? I like that idea better. She says expectantly, hey, big water right over there. Maybe we know somebody who knows or has some connections to some boats. Maybe there's somebody who knows of a boat that is currently without an owner. 
if we could assure that it would never wash ashore, that might be a way to go, but the box itself, I believe, is made out of wood. Perhaps we should include the others. I understand why you wanted to come in here to discuss the first plan, but time to return to the others. So we walk over, open the door, and rejoin the conversation. So Mort will have uh, two more mugs full of tea handed out to both Nora and and Fionn. So right now the plan, or at least the posited plan, Fionn, are you bringing up the whole tie it to a rock, throw it in the water thing? That's what you're going to... I'll let Grandmother go out. I actually want to talk with the cat. Okay. Okay. So while we're sitting there talking, I'm like, what if we just take it out into the middle of the ocean, tie a rock to it, and drop it in? Ah, great minds. Think alike. I like it. I glance back at the room, then back at uh, Vazor. What? Mort's concern, Vassar, is he, he says, well, Vassar, that's not necessarily a bad plan. However, in the water, there's no way to secure it, protect it, or do anything with it. From what we knew of the catacombs of Ergon, were we able to get it there and it were to do what it's supposed to do, it would hide it effectively for a very, very long time. Granted, it, it may push the problem generations down the road, but at least for the time being, it would be hidden and unfindable. My fear is that if even if we were to throw it into the waters, there are things in the deeps that this may call to or may be drawn to it. I'm not positive that is a good idea. Oh, yeah. There are stories of all sorts of creatures who have even been sighted near the docks. I've heard stories. It's true. Well, Mort, if we can't get rid of it in the water and we can't get rid of it by taking it down underneath because the mind flare is already there, do you know anybody else that we could ask to, to get rid of it since you seem to be out of ideas? Well, Morris has spoken to who, who he knows within the Storytellers Guild and has come back with little. The only group I can think of would be the Lamplighters, but neither I nor the doppelgangers have been able to get anything out of them. They basically refuse to speak to us. I want to talk to them again. Talking to Lamplighters is a terrible idea. Wait, you you, I, you said again? This is Mort. You said you, you speak to them again. Yeah, I talked to one last night. One of your cats led me to one of them. What did it say to you? Uh, it basically directed me to the box. It directed it, it you to the box? Yeah, it told me that I should deal with the situation that is occurring, okay. uh, that, that things would be happening that would be needed. I, I, I told them you could have the box, and they didn't want it. Hmm. If you seem to have a connection, at least they'll speak to you. Perhaps the extra knowledge that we've gained... This night, and especially through all the things that you've seen and done thus far, maybe we'll get more information out of them. That might be the best answer. They know the most. At least I, I assume they do. Hold on one second. On the based on the numbers, like I'm like in the ten percent of people that didn't get eviscerated by talking to one of these things. Those are those are really good odds. That is not good odds. What do you? Oh, yeah, you're golden. Oh my god, you've got a relationship. You have a a hundred percent success. I'm pretty sure you're death proof. I don't want to talk to them. What did you say, Grandma? You have 100% success. 100% success one out of two times does not mean I'm still alive. Vassar and Mars, both of you, when I spoke to you, asking what we should do with this box, Mort is the one you said we should talk to, and now we find out he doesn't know anymore. He's about to send us down where... The sun doesn't shine? Well, where the mind flares, the ones who are after the box are. Mort says, in my defense, that was the best plan given the information I had at the time. I did not know that the Illithid had any idea we had the box. But if the lamplighters don't want the box, perhaps they know what we could do with it. You know what? That's fine. I will go and talk to a lamplighter again tonight. Can I go with you? Well, I was going to say, as long as all of you come with me. Because if I get eviscerated, I want witnesses, <laughs> says Vassar. 
That's exactly what Vassar says. That's all for this episode of The Streets of Avalon. Tune in next time to see what Fiona and the cat talk about, if Vassar is eviscerated by a lamplighter, and what our rogues end up doing with the box. We look forward to running with you rogues next time.